So that's, and, and it's also the number one reason that cattle don't make it into our brand, right? It'd be really easy for us if we wanted to, to lower our marbling standard to get more supply. The more supply that we have, the more we can sell, the more money that we can bring in and help our, um, help our producers. But obviously that's, that's not our end goal. Um, our end goal is to sell high quality beef to support our end users. Welcome to Meatspad, a platform dedicated to sharing breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the meats industry. These discussions help foster and improve communication and knowledge dissemination within the meat science community. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Meat Export Federation, the National Provisioner, Ultrasource, the new standard for innovation, Dry Age Pro, makes dry aging in-house flexible, safe, and affordable. Hello, meat folks. Welcome back to the Meatspad Podcast. My name is Francisco Nahar. It's my pleasure to be back on the Meatspad Podcast. I cannot believe that June is almost over and uh, we're getting ready to RMC this year. Today, we have an amazing couple. They work at the Certified Angus Beef brand. They go back with uh, Dr. Phil Bass when they uh, he was working at uh, TAB some years ago. And, uh, well, I will have him introduce our guest today how was everyone excited i'm excited francisco i have we have we have next to francisco nahar two of of some of my favorite people in the entire world dr daniel clark and diana clark the meat scientists at certified angus beef um thank you guys so much for joining us today Thank Happy you. To be yeah, here. Thanks for having us. Wish it was in person, but you know. Given. Well, <laughs> that the time is coming for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's great to to have you guys here. Um, uh, Diana and Daniel um, and I go back several years and have the, had the opportunity to work together in, in a number of different facets. But uh, this is the time to kind of address a question that's come across. Um, the meets pad email listing. And for those out there listening, yes, please send us your questions and we'll do our best to address them. We're trying to, um, to our best about our ability. But one of those questions was, what is CAB? What is certified Angus beef? And uh, I talked to Francisco and, and figured, you know, it, I think it's time to reach out to these folks and who better to discuss what CAB is than the two meat scientists there on staff. And so Clarks, can you tell us what is CAB? <laughs> well, I will, I will start. We'll kind of work together, I think, on this. I will start um, by saying that we're actually a beef company. Um, we are owned by the American Angus Association. So we're a nonprofit company that's owned by the American Angus Association. Um, our sole mission is to go out and, and um, really just go back and try to try to enrich the American Angus farmers that are out there and try to better their lives by really promoting the beef that they're producing. It's kind of, it's a really neat, I feel like it's an organization that really doesn't exist or wouldn't exist until we started. Um, but if you think about how we actually work hand in hand, we've talked about this a lot. If you think about the American Angus Association, I honestly don't think they would be where they are today if it wasn't for certified Angus beef. And I also don't think certified Angus beef would be where it is today if it wasn't for the American Angus Association. Uh, the American Angus Association is just fantastic in terms of really focusing on production and making sure they're always bettering the herd. In one way, shape, or form, they're striving to make sure that that herd is perfect. 
And by doing so, they create this beautiful, high quality protein certified Angus beef. And if we weren't here, that beef would just go off in the industry as Angus beef. It just would be some black hided animal that would fall into the Angus category. But when we started back in the 70s, so they kind of the, the producers realized we needed to make sure that Angus beef is done right and not just falling into the the mesh of the beef category. So they really did stand there and say, okay, we want to set these specifications in order for this beef to qualify to make certified Angus beef. And that's really what started to set us apart. And we're the first branded beef program to ever exist. And if it's kind of funny when you have people at the culinary center kind of ask how we got started, it, it's really hard to explain because it's, it's really was from nothing to something. I mean, really, if you think about the, the way they went about of saying, hey, USDA graders, we want you to put this stamp on a carcass and say that it is certified Angus beef. And the, well, what does that mean? Yeah, so yeah, but we still want you to do it. And this is what's gonna happen and how we're gonna pull this through. And I, I honestly am shocked that it worked, but it, it did work and it started really slow. Um, if you look at our, our chart, our pounds have grown. I mean, really from 1978 to the early 90s, there wasn't too much growth. Um, it was there, but then after that, things really started to take off. And that's when you see other branded beef programs coming into the, into the picture as well. Um, but again, going back to those specifications, that was really our, our gold standard and what set us apart at the beginning. And that's the beauty of it, I think, from a meat science standpoint. As I get a lot of uh, a lot of grief from other meat scientists within the industry saying, "Oh, you've just drank the juice. You're part of this marketing company." And granted, yes, we are a marketing company. However, it's a marketing company that was built on science, and those ten specs really do just fall within the industry of looking at the importance of marbling, understanding the importance of tenderness to drive home that to the consumer. But then on the other hand, it also takes into consideration that end user. So the chef or the retail operator and thinking about what do they need in order to excel in their business. And a lot of that is just simply consistency. Having that consistent product, whether it be from shape and size, um, that's really where certified Angus beef delivers that other half to that consumer of making sure it's not only a high quality, but it's also a consistent product through in and throughout. And, it's fun because that's part of our, our position too, is trying to better the brand. I mean, making sure that is there things changing within the industry that needs us to adjust our specifications in order to better represent the product that's coming through. We wanna make sure that we understand the product better than anyone out there. Um, so yeah, it's just a really, I guess, really unique organization, but it's, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, and a big part of what we do too is just simply educating uh, the people that come through our, our culinary center that we go and visit. And that is, that's extremely fulfilling, uh, especially when you know that these people have zero background in agriculture or beef or cattle or anything, and you get to give them that experience. Uh, it's kind of amazing to see that light bulb go on and have them actually trust the beef industry uh, is is great place to be right now for sure. Well, and and let we'll we'll touch on the culinary center because that's that's a really cool unique thing that certified Angus beef has. But you've mentioned the specifications a couple of times, and we have a lot of medium to small size processors around here that are you know they're they're really curious as to 
even more so the science behind certified Angus beef and what makes certified Angus beef so unique in, in the respect of, from the meat science side of things. And so can you guys elucidate a little bit on what are the specifications and, and why are they important? Yeah, so the, our, our specifications start with marbling, as everyone probably could guess, right? Marbling is so important for um, flavor, tenderness, juiciness. We know that, the, the science out there would support that. The over, if you look at the overwhelming body of research that's out there today, um, that definitely there's a correlation with, with marbling in terms of both flavor, tenderness, and juiciness. So that's where we kind of start. We always say that is our most important specification. We require at least a modest degree of marbling, so the average choice level of marbling. Um, what's the cool story that we tell everyone when our brand was actually founded is um, we actually worked with Dr. Bob Van Stavern down at Ohio State. And one of the research studies he was actually doing at the same time that they were putting our brand together was um, actually a triangle test just on this, where he, he was blindly giving people taste and asking them if they can taste the difference between select and, and low choice, and they couldn't. Um, but then when he moved to low choice and average choice, at that point, that's when consumers could taste the difference. So that's really where our brand is, um, is kind of started. That was our, what we consider our most important spec then, and we still consider it our most important spec today, is that we require that modest degree of marbling, because that's where we want to know where consumers can taste the difference. And that's where the research showed that, that that's where that's at, is that's when they can start to find that um, superior product. So that's, and, and it's also, the number one reason that cattle don't make it into our brand, right? It'd be really easy for us if we wanted to, to lower our marbling standard to get more supply. The more supply that we have, the more we can sell, the more money that we can bring in and help our, um, help our producers. But obviously that's, that's not our end goal. Um, our end goal is to sell high quality beef to support our end users. It's not just to sell us the, the mass amount, the most amount that we can, it's to do it in um, to still selling high quality beef, to make sure we're representing our producers um, well as well. So, uh, so that's, our, that's the number one reason the cattle don't make it into our brand and also very fundamental just in terms of flavor. We also know marbling is, is important just because um, we have, we also have two specifications that go right along with it. So we have the, um, <clears throat> we have that the marbling needs to be medium or fine textured, meaning that it needs to be evenly distributed throughout the entire ribeye, right? We want every, every single bite. We don't want the big coarse um, pieces that you get um, sometimes with marbling. We want every single bite to be, um, to be that equally satisfying that you expect the certifying these people. It kind of makes sense with it. Mm -hmm. And then another one that goes along with that is maturity. And I think we all, all know how important maturity is. It's, fundamental just to the USDA grading system, and it's fundamental to us as well. Um, we do require the cattle to be uh, um, 30 months of younger by dentition. So um, that, right, the same way that USDA is going to be using today um, to grade. So that's what we require. Now, um, we don't we don't allow the, the B maturity into our program. Um, that's, that's no longer um, like um, they have to have that 30 months younger by dentition as well. Do you want to talk about the, our, our next three? Yeah, so the, like, the, like we said before, those three really focus on that overall consumer acceptance, that tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. And then our next three, again, focus on that consistency. So we look at the ribeye size. We want to make sure that it's 10 to 16 square inches in order to keep those consistent thickness of that steak, uh, regardless of, of what ounce you're cutting. Uh, we also look at that back fat thickness. We wanted an inch or less of back fat thickness and if you start to think about that, it's, it doesn't only play into, okay, from an appearance standpoint, a lot of people will say, oh, because that's kind of helping minimize the fat that's between the muscles. Well, no, that's not completely accurate. The main reason why we start to think about that is from your trim use. 
So whether that end user is trimming that fat off or if the packer is trimming that fat off, that's gonna increase your overall cost of the product. You think your yields are gonna go down and we really want you to be paying for that high quality product, not the extra trim work that you had to do. So that's why that specification's in place. And then a hot carcass weight, we require that it be 1,050 pounds or less. And um, the easiest way to explain this is that someone's never been to a packing plant before. If you start to think about the variability that can be found in a meat box, well, if you have someone standing on the line that's packing one of those boxes, they usually try to target a piece count and a weight per piece, uh, per box. So they let's say they're packaging top rounds. They're trying to hit a 60 pound box weight, which they usually overshoot, but they're still trying, okay? And they're trying to hit a three pieces per box. So this giant top round comes down, they plop it in the box and they realize, okay, that was a 30 pound top round. I have 30 more pounds to go, but I have to fit two more into the box. So now that person is thinking, I need to find the smallest top- A big shoehorn. Yeah, to just <laughs> shove in there. <laughs> and so there you have that inconsistency. And by having our specification, it's not saying it's perfect and it's going to kick out all variability. These are still God's creatures. So you still have some of them born with big butts, but this is just a way to help control that variability. Uh, so it really does, I think, help that end user get more consistency. And especially as they get more disconnected from the industry, they need more and more of that because they don't understand why they don't look exactly alike when they can order chicken breasts that are the same ounce weight across the board. So why, why is beef different? Well, the beef industry is completely different than the poultry industry, but that's a hard conversation to have. Instead, let's just make consistent product and then we can get you what you need. Um, so that's those next three specs are really consistency. What we found also with that is that, right, I said that modest marbling specification is our most important specification, and that's that's still true today. Um, but we're finding that these chef, we call them our chef specs, is so important. These consistency specifications are so important for chefs that they're almost becoming more important to sell our product than any of our quality specs. They, um, people want consistency um, and the, these deliver on that. And we hear that actually from our, from our, our loyal um, partners and, and those that have kind of bought into the brand and, and understand what it's about. That's one of the biggest things they bring back to us and they tell us is it's just more consistent. That's why they are so loyal to it um, because they want that consistency when they open up the box. They don't want something that's um, has a hodgepodge of who knows what you're going to get when you open it. Um, they want the, they want what they're getting. So that's, I would say that those are those are just as important. Um, some would say more so important than that modest. Yeah. Spec. And we do have a few more that kind of make sure that the product is consistent. We don't want any light muscled cattle in the program. Uh, just looking again for that more of that beefy ribeye. You're, you're always looking for that roundness. You don't want any triangular shaped uh, ribeyes or strip loins because then you always have that issue of plate envy, you know, where you and your significant other go out to a restaurant and you get two strip steaks and they look nothing alike. And usually, I will say this, gentlemen, usually the female gets the poor steak. I just want to put that on record. And I know you guys all can agree as you sit there smiling. I just will take one for the team, okay? Just throw that one out there. But then um, we also want to make sure we don't have any tough steaks in the program too. So we don't allow any Brahmin-influenced cattle. Uh, and the main reason why is just, again, from that toughness standpoint, even if that those cattle are aged properly, 
um, from a tenderness, they just can't reach that same ability that your boss Taurus could. Um, so the, the, what they do is actually look at the neck hump on the animal when it's at an actual hot carcass. And as long as that neck hump doesn't exceed two inches, then we are good to go and it can make it into the brand. Um, but that's a one that I think a lot of, especially people that aren't in the beef industry, don't really think about at all because they don't understand that influence within the beef category. But I mean, Brahmin cattle are very prevalent within the United States beef system. And then if you start thinking about importing beef too, I mean, Australia, they're definitely there. Um, so it's really plays a major influence within our program for sure. You wanna do the final two? Yeah, so our final two, then we, we obviously don't allow any dark cutters um, in our program. And I'm, this audience will all know what a dark cutter is. And that's, that's something that just doesn't look premium, right? Um, we all know that actually a dark cutter is um, it, it can have a little bit of an influence and flavor and so forth, but in reality, it just doesn't look good. Um, and, and, and our customers are paying for a premium product and we don't want them paying for something that doesn't look premium. Yeah. So that one's not allowed in our, in our box for that reason. And then the, the last one here is, um, we don't allow any, or practically free of capillary ruptures, right? At that 12th and 13th rib surface. And again, the same reason as a dark cutter, that's one that you can't taste a, a capillary, a capillary rupture, especially if it's very minor. Um, but that is something, again, that just doesn't look premium. And when you think about, right, a, a large chunk of our, um, uh, customers or partners are retail. Yeah. They're putting that on the shelves. And um, if they are putting something on there that doesn't look the same, it's not it's not uniform, has little dots on it from capital rupture, a dark piece of meat, obviously people aren't going to pick it up and then it's going to get wasted and uh, food waste is a problem, right? So that's, that's something we don't want to be um, a part of and we want that to go. Now, I, I will add something kind of fun that we did here this last year was we actually uh, um, amended the G1 schedule, we re-updated it and added a little piece to it. Um, we actually went and, and, uh, and, and this is something we get excited about. We, our specifications, a lot of people think that they are, they are set and they're etched in stone or something like that, where they can't change. They're holy. They're gospel, aren't they? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, I think that's, that's kind of the mentality around them, but naturally that's not... That's not true. Um, we we want to update our specifications as and remain as relevant to we as we can to our customer base. That is our ultimate goal um, is to do that. So if it's if it is revising our G schedule, we will do just that. And we did that here about a year ago, um, where we went in and said one of the things that we will allow our packer partners to do is um, go ahead and start capturing carcasses that actually had a, a 16 to 19 square inch ribeye. Um, however, with the exception that they cannot keep um, any cuts that come from the rib, um, the short loin, or the strip loin. Yeah. Um, and that's simply because we know, and, and actually, I mean, we ran millions, we, we analyzed millions head, head of cattle um, to kind of understand what exactly that ribeye area was doing. And what we found was that that ribeye area specification, that 10 to 16 square inch rib, um, specification was extremely important, obviously for the size of, of the rib and the strip, um, but it really had minimal um, influence on some of our other cuts, um, the size of some of the cuts that come from the chuck in the round. We know that's, that those sizing um, is really kept in check by a hot carcass weight. So by adding that, that specification in there that we can actually um, bring in those carcasses that have a 16 to 19 square inch ribeye um, and then meet all of our other specifications as well. And just not allowing things to come from the rib and the short loin and the strip loin, we can then capture additional product um, that we that once wasn't 
allowed to be part of our brand. And actually, in some ways, some of it could even be a little more premium, right? We don't expect um, any increase in size, but there's some cuts that come from those areas. And if there was a very small increase in size, the no one's going to complain. We don't hear any complaints about a, a tenderloin that's too big or a terrace major that's too big, short ribs that are too thick. Um, that's not an issue, right? Uh, so those, those allow us to capture those. Again, we don't expect to see any of those getting any bigger, um, but if they weren't slightly bigger, we wouldn't be disappointed either. Yeah. Um, and, but it's important to note also that um, to date, that, that specification also brought along some other changes that packers, if they wanted to start utilizing that, they also needed to um, start implementing camera grading and then do some additional reporting with us. Um, and then it also obviously creates some challenges logistically for them, um, it's putting in, um, figuring out how to sort those cattle off and how they're going to fab them. Um, so to date, we haven't had a packer um, willing to start uh, bagging those um, or, or sorting those cattle off. So today our, our, 10 to, our, our 10 specifications that have always been there are the ones that are in play. Um, but we do have some packer partners that have, have expressed interest in and we're working with them to determine, um, can we start implementing this 16 to 19 inch ribeye um, in the future? And how can we do that? And that's what I think is so neat about the specification is it's, it's more futuristic thinking than it is right now. If they start getting something like this in place, that means that they're sorting product and they're going to have to sort outside of just that ribeye. So we've gone a step further after that grading camera and also implementing the camera used to sort. Like that is a huge, huge deal that not everyone's doing within the industry. So now we can increase some consistency and we can have these sorts being done after that grading stand. And I, I feel like that could really push us in a great direction just by getting their feet wet slowly. Hopefully someone jumps on board because really it will just take one. Once one does, there's gonna be more people that are interested in doing it. Um, but that, that can really just open up the doors for more of that conversation to happen than in the future. So it a, was a lot of thought and conversation went into it, but so excited to see it actually be put into stone, written down. And yeah. yeah. And that's one where we do expect it once that kind of takes hold and we, we figure out some of those sorting logistical challenges that are associated with it. Um, we, we, fully expect to go ahead and keep implementing similar type of just yeah. nuances that we can capture. We can capture more product that is still premium in nature that might not have originated on a carcass that fits our current mold, right? There are other changes that we could go ahead and make and pull out, pull out different. Maybe it's, like I said, maybe it's a terrace major. Uh, maybe it's, it's the short ribs. How can we capitalize on those to just really create a, a just premium product, um, more of our premium products that we already have today? Mm -hmm. I think um, I, I, this is this is awesome. I don't know, Dr. Baz, we, I think this is the longest conversation as far as, I mean, they have a lot, a lot to share with us today, which so is good. So much information. This is awesome. <laughs> this is fantastic. It's exactly what we need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think going back, to, we had Dr. Uh, Warney from USDA, AMS, uh, in the previous episodes, he, we talk a lot about grading, history of grading. And I think along those lines, we, we have this conversation with you today. And I just wanna go back a little bit, one step back. And for those folks that are small, mid-sized meat processors that may be wanting to explore or venture themselves into, hey, can I start doing CAB in my plant? 
what are some of the of those opportunities for those folks that are interested in in just joining the program? So I would say, um, on first and foremost, you reach out to us, um, and we can get you way more information on that. It's not an, um, it's not something we take lightly. That's for sure. Um, we want to make sure what one of the pillars to our success is integrity. So we're wanting to make sure every time we bring in. Um, partners and so forth that we are um, upholding that integrity mark uh, that that it's going to benefit everyone in the industry and we're not stepping on anyone else's toes and, and so forth and we're respecting our, our current partners so um, with that in mind I would definitely recommend reaching out to us and we can we can definitely have that conversation um, it's there's a lot of legal involved in it. So we bring in some, some of our legal team, we bring in our packing team, or if it's, and it depends, it's our packing and our processors would be a little bit different. So we bring those in um, specifically, but um, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I feel like there's never, it's never going to be a flat out no. I mean, it's always going to be a discussion uh, just to see of, of where they're at, what the need is for certifying as beef within that area and, and really how much product is actually being able to produce and capture and, do you have a way, Are you? do you have a USDA grader coming into, that's that's one big reason why there's a lot of small packing plants that are not working with certified Angus beef because they don't have a grader coming in and evaluating the animals. And that is something that is necessary in order to make it into the program. And that's a cost. I mean, financially, that is a cost for a small plant. So it's not always the easiest thing to, to implement because of that, uh, but we definitely do work with some small, small packing plants Bolliant's packing is one that we are uh, very is near and dear to our heart in Ashland, Ohio. They are very small, but only 150 head of cattle a week is, is what they process, but they are great at what they do and the quality of cattle that they bring through is phenomenal. And it's primarily because the owner of the, the packing plant, Bob, he, he goes out and works with those producers to make sure that they understand what they need to do to feed the cattle appropriately, to bring the proper genetics in, in order to reach the brand. Um, so it's it's awesome to see that transformation. But again, he is paying for a USDA grader to come in once a week and grade out his cattle. And then that way we can actually work with them and have that certified Angus beef program going through. But that is probably, I'd say the biggest uh, hold up with a lot of our smaller packing plants is that they don't have that. But if they, they would like to and they want to consider it, yeah, definitely reach out to us. It's a great conversation to have. From a processor standpoint, um, right, we have we do have value-added product lines out there, um, and we're totally open to those conversations as well. Uh, what, what we like to see is we don't want to overlap. So if we already have somebody making a, a, a certain value-added product, we don't want to have the same person making the same type of value-added product. Just to add, I mean, that just makes makes unneeded competition. But we are totally add, um, open to adding um the other products out there today um, that we can we can increase on and, and do that. Not just a, a conversation with our value-added product team um, to see what what exactly we do and currently have and, and could use. Well, and this is a this, this is a really important question that Francisco asked, and and we have a, we have a lot of folks out there listening that are just trying to better their business and just and and improve upon what they what they may already have or how can they get better, and that's a great conversation to have um, either with the folks at Certified Angus Beef or listen to um, some of our previous podcasts uh, with with Dr. Gwartney with USDA AMS, um, Travis Arp with U.S. Meat Export Federation, and 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 talk about 
some of the different avenues that smaller and medium-sized processors can get involved. And they can, they absolutely can. I've been to Bolian's Packing in Ashland, Ohio. It's a, it's a cool little outfit and very, very unique. Um, but they do have a USDA grader come in and that's going to be a key part with a branded beef program that is certified by USDA. Obviously, obviously USDA has to still be that third-party verifier. So it definitely makes um, for a, a, a strong commitment and a stronger message when a branded beef program does have that third-party verification. But what I want to do is, is go back a little bit um, to some of the things you guys have already mentioned. And something else that makes Certified Angus Beef a pretty strong brand is the uh the center of the angus universe in worcester ohio and it's worcester if you ever look it up it's spelled wooster but it's worcester ohio <laughs> um in northeast ohio um out in the rolling hills and um we we have on the line right now francisco two amazing meat cutters and and these two can can uh instruct and demonstrate and facilitate opportunities for uh, restaurant tours food service distributors, processors, retailers to come in and uh, not just to do a little meat cutting, but explore and, and innovate and expand their understanding of beef in general, but also share knowledge uh, about meat, which is something Francisco and I talk about all the time. So Clarks, would you mind tell, uh, telling us just a little bit about the Culinary Center there at uh, in Worcester, Ohio? Yeah, so... It's a smaller building. It actually was uh, transformed. It used to be a restaurant and they, they made it into a culinary center. At first, there was uh, no meat lab on there and then um, they added a meat lab on. It's actually, I think it's now been six years, Phil. I'm fairly certain it had its, its sixth birthday, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but so you start to think about all of that being a transformation of what, what exactly do we want to do with this building when people come? And the biggest thing is, is who we work with. So if you think about our position, I mean, we don't own any beef and we don't own any cattle, but we try to educate a lot of people that do own it and that sell it. That's really our goal. And if they are more educated on the product, then they're going to go out and be better salesmen. They're going to be better chefs. They're going to be better advocates for the brand or better advocates for the beef industry in general. And that's really the goal behind the culinary center. I mean, we do talk about certifying as beef. We do talk about the 10 specifications when they come in, but we're really just trying to give them that farm to fork experience. So usually when they'll come, They'll actually have a tour of an Angus farm, Mandy Adderholt, she's on staff. So they bring them out to her, her farm. They give them that up close experience of how cattle are fed, what their proper diet is, just go through the life cycle of the animal. And we actually, we just created, this was kind of a, a COVID thought of a uh, these beef segment boards. So we show them the different segments of the industry using little, little cattle toys and kind of walk through that experience with them. Because a lot of times you just throw these terms at them and, oh yeah, the, they're the seed stock operation or they're the backgrounders. They really have no idea. By the time they get to Mandy's, they're just so jaw dropped, just shocked by these giant live animals in front of them that a lot of the information kind of just goes right over their head. So we realize we have to give them a little bit of that before they get to the farm so they can really appreciate where they're at. Uh, it's, it's awesome seeing that experience. And then from there, they'll usually come back to the culinary center, 
we'll bring in a side of beef, we'll actually walk through the specifications on that side so they understand how it plays into the product they're receiving. And majority of the people that are back there have never seen a side of beef before. I mean, they're used to working with boxed beef products. So it, that is just fun for them, that alone, that they can stand next to it and take a picture and everything around there. But then we get to break down that side and we get to pull out all these individual cuts of meat, things that they've never seen before, things that they've seen, but they're not really sure that it, where it comes from. And from people, from chefs that are back there, when they see where that cuts from on the animal, they get a better understanding of how to properly prepare it. Because they know that a cut that comes from the shoulder might take a little bit more tender love and care than a cut from the loin. So just kind of understanding those differences and talking about seaming out the cuts and we'll show them what connective tissue is and why we need to remove it. And then the beauty of all of this is that we have six chefs on staff so they can then take those cuts and prepare them. So that way they can actually try those pieces of meat that they've just talked about and back and think about, okay, so how does that connect to my menu at my restaurant? How can I start to apply this? From a sales representative, he can sit there and think, okay, what customers do I have that would benefit from this cut? Because I know this would play along with their concept really well. So now they become this beef educated person that they can go forth and start to spread that knowledge and information. And that's really our goal behind all of this. And um, have our chefs really have just a, a wide variety of experience. Um, but honestly, I have, they cook beef better than anyone. That <laughs> I mean, they legitimately have probably cooked every single muscle within a beef carcass. And so if you want to grill someone to grill you a steak, Chef Ashley is, is where it's at. I mean, she can nail it every single time. Uh, so it's just, it's fun just seeing those, those differences between our chefs. I mean, Chef Tony has a world of experience when it comes to your, um, just your Asian flair of, of cuisine. I mean, he's got all of that knowledge in his head. So it's neat to see him play into recipes. Chef Peter, he's originally uh, from South Africa. So he has some of that within there, but he's also was in Texas for a long period of his life. So he also has that Texas barbecue in there as well. And Chef Brad is just that, that Southern comfort charm. So he would throw in your chicken fried steak and he can throw it down like no other, I'm telling you. Everyone is always blown away by that. And then we have Chef Michael and Chef Gavin. They are primarily working on um, more of our social media, our, our out touch to our consumer and making things really, really consumer friendly. I mean, you talk about how you said before that, that ability to break things down and put it in layman's term. Chef Michael is by far, I'd say, the most suave when it comes to his words of being able to explain something to a consumer, especially when he has a news reporter that is asking some ridiculous questions. He is just able to just flip the script and just make it seem like everything is fine and dandy and just can play it off like it's nothing, which is amazing to have that ability. I mean, just to be able to, to connect to that consumer. And that's something as a brand he has a gift more and more on of trying to connect to those consumers uh, because we're realizing that that is I think kind of where we've fallen a little bit. I'd say that that's, that's our plan for the next five years. We work really great on our relationships with our producers, with our, our packers, our distributors, but the consumer is kind of a place where we haven't had that touch. So we're hoping to, to increase that in the, in the future. 
something else to kind of piggyback on what you said, the, the culinary center, I think is, is cool because that's, I've only been with the brand a couple of years. Um, and one of the things that I didn't realize, right, is, is when you hear food salesmen, food service salesmen, and, and you think like, oh, they're selling, they're selling food. They probably know, they probably know a lot about food. But what I didn't realize is there's a lot of food salesmen out there that sell everything from the toilet paper they need at a restaurant to the napkins, to the ketchup, to the, to the tables, and are also responsible for, for um, basically telling them what type of meat they should be having on their menu or what type of meat might work good for this restaurant. So that's one of the things that that culinary center that Diana explained and why it's so important for us is because we have to do a lot of education for those type of salesmen. Um, they might know, they might know a lot about vegetables, um, but really they're thrown into this and don't know much about meat. Yeah. So that's where we can utilize that and bring in and just educate people to bring them all up. The more they know, the more they can be a resource for the customers they're serving and the more they can sell. So that's kind of where we bring that in and use that. It's, it's really what I would do for educational marketing, right? We just want to keep them educated and, and get them out there. Same with retail. There's a lot of retail oh, yeah. that work, work behind the butcher counter that know their store well, but they don't necessarily know which cuts would work well on a grill, which ones would work great on a smoker or whatever when, when their customers ask. So again, we can educate them. It's all about education. Um, that culinary center, it's, it's pretty unique in that, that realm. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think key, key is education. And I know what you brought up, the, uh, the excellent point about that culinary uh, center. And I, we had Dr. R from USMF and he was mentioning, uh, I, I think I have one quote that I always remember it's a, there's a market for everything. So there's a market for everything. The U.S. beef, U.S. pork, U.S. lamb, it's exported to a lot of countries. And I think having that ability to come having chefs with like a, like a background that they can, they know about Asia, they know about South America, because you, your, your guys' product is everywhere. So you have to have a menu for every culture. And I think that's just, that's awesome to have that ability to be just sitting in a room, cutting meat and just say, well, it's gonna cut the cereal and cap, the picanha, uh, folks from Brazil. And then, I don't know, a different, so that alternative, I think that that just blows my mind about that ability. We're almost wrapping up this episode. And I, I just, it, this is sad because we have a bunch of information uh, to, to, to talk about, but I, I do wanna mention um, and ask you, sometimes if we as a scientist, we, we sit down a lot in the lab, writing, doing other stuff, but not so much cutting sometimes. How was your experience in grad school to just learn more about cutting um, and just, again, can just relate to what the importance of just knowing where your cuts come from. Sometimes, as I said, we just focus a lot on research and we go, we don't take the time to go to the meat lab and, and just do the pork, do the beef fabrication. No, I think that's a great question. And I, honestly, that's I th one of the main reasons I love University of Illinois. They they really do push to make sure that as a graduate student, you have to, I, you guys are laughing, but it's true. As a graduate student, they want to make sure that you are plugged into every aspect of, of meat science. So as a graduate student, we had to work the harvest floor. Uh, when we had projects, we had to all be down there to cut because we were a small facility so we had to team up and everyone do it together to get stuff broken down, to get stuff processed. Uh, we were heavily weighted, I'd say in pork, but as we started to round off um, our years there, we started to sway more to some beef projects as well. 
Um, and then we were both fortunate enough to coach meat judging teams. So being able to understand those, the, the cuts that they have to identify and everything along that. So we definitely had to do hands-on cutting. Uh, I think it is, it's always, always, always great to have that information. Even, I even think of outside of when I worked at, um, at Sarah Lee, and that was before I, before I jumped into graduate school, I had a, a some, um, just a summer internship there. And thinking about that experience of knowing what product we should order for a specific cut, because we could have gotten top rounds and I suggested, no, we should get denuded top rounds because that's gonna be trimmed and ready to go. And it's a little bit more, but it's gonna make processing a lot easier. And this was just an R&D facility. And there's a lot of people that are within R&D in the meat world that just have a food science background. So they don't think about those extra things, those little details, it's knowing some of those cut specifications that can take it one step further. And just as we said for the chefs, I mean, them knowing the anatomy of the animal really helps them with that cooking process, understanding how to treat different cuts. I mean, because every cut is different. Um, so it's the, again, that same exact mentality as a meat scientist Understanding the process of everything, I think, would really help you in any field that you're going into, because it's going to give you that background knowledge. I mean, the meat of the material, pun in cheek. Uh, pun in cheek. So, I just think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely needed to have that hands-on fabrication experience, um, and then you you can relate to a lot of people that way as well. It's it's kind of that dying art that a lot of people don't have anymore. Yeah, I think that it goes back for me, what you said, coaching that meat judging team um, is really key. Like it's not just um, not just understanding the, the specs and so forth that you have in the meat judging world, but it's just um, being able to cut those specs and make the different defects and so forth really probably set me up. Um, to kind of understand the, the anatomy and so forth a little bit better. And then um, then it's just, right, it, it's routine and practice. Like, I mean, I, I technically, so I, I coached for a while. I'd finished my PhD at Illinois. I came in, um, I did a postdoc at Ohio State for a couple of years and was on faculty at Ohio State, not in meat science. I was more muscle biology, growth development. Um, so I really didn't, um, I really hadn't touched a knife for, what, four or five years there. And then coming back to the, or coming to the brand, um, it's kind of a, I'd have to get back in the swing, but it's kind of like riding a bike. Like once like you- Like falling off a bike, right? Is yeah, that... yes, like falling off a bike. Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, you just kind of get the hang of it. You get, yeah. you understand it as you get going. And the more you do, the better you get. Staying hands-on is always, uh, I, I, you know, that's that's something that I preach regularly. Um, getting involved, being a jack of all trades. Uh, master of none, maybe sometimes, but- you, you have to kind of have an understanding of everything. That's what I love about the meat sciences. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of the end of the animal sciences, the transition into the food sciences, and many departments out there at universities are a combined situation. Um, but we kind of have to know everything on the live side and everything yes. on the process side. And, and getting just hands-on, going and cutting the meat, knowing the anatomy, it's, it's, it's absolutely crucial. It, it's done me well over the years and it's done both of you very well. Um, your, your successes are noted by a lot of folks out there. Um, you're, you're definitely an amazing voice for animal agriculture, first off, um, and you're definitely representing the, the beef industry in general very well. For those out there who are listening, 
um, who uh, maybe are now kind of newer um, uh, uh, people understanding the certified Angus beef brand now. And hopefully folks are, are able to better understand that. And, and hopefully we've answered the question of those who did ask the question, what is CAB? What is certified Angus beef? But regardless of what you do, where you are, if certified Angus beef isn't available in your area, know the specifications regardless of whatever product you're purchasing. Um, know thy specifications is a very uh, smart meat uh, Cutter once told me. Um, and, um, you know, the, the fact that we have certified Angus beef on here, um, it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It is the largest branded beef program in the world. Um, that is, that's, uh, and, that, and there's empirical evidence out there to very much substantiate that claim. Um, a lot of cattle are grading um, within the certified Angus beef brand. And I would, I would say that uh, the efforts that certified Angus beef has done over the years has, has definitely helped just improve the beef industry overall and, and, and has challenged the beef industry, you know, more so to continue to grow and focus on quality. And we really appreciate everything you guys are doing out there. So um, thank you so much. It's great to see you guys. I know, I know those out there listening to the audio version can't see these two but we can see them on on our call here and it's and it's so great to see you guys and, and uh, hopefully we're running into each other again in the near future yeah great it's great thanks for having yeah, us thank too. you for having you guys great to see you that we end this episode thank you a lot for listening if you'd like to receive notifications on the new releases and the new episodes please subscribe at www.meatspad.com. If you're a small and mid-sized meat processor and you have concerns or questions about a certain topic related to, to meat science and meat processing, please email us at info at Thank you, and I'll see you the next time.